right now we want to uh, continue on with a message series called Upgrades, about a five-week uh, series here before Bring a Friend Day. And upgrades, you know, everybody likes an upgrade. Everybody likes going from a coach to business or from uh, a regular room to a suite. And we have an op- opportunity to upgrade under the touch of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, various areas of our life. And uh, last week we talked about anxiety, and today upgrading your marriage. Now notice I did not say upgrading your spouse. So upgrading your marriage, all right? Now, when I say the word marriage, if, if we do a little word association here, the uh, uh, word marriage, some of you, I mean, a lot of positive thoughts come to mind. And you might say words like wedding, vows, ring, joy, happiness, romance, oneness, just a lot of positive words. Some of you might have some words where you think, oh, man, hard, challenging, uh, some sore spots for me, unfaithfulness or divorce. Uh, if, if you're single, you might think, you know, people talk about it too much. Um, marriage can be absolutely beautiful. Marriage can be really, really hard. It can be at various places in between. As someone has said, you will never know just how selfish you are until you get married. Or as my wife likes to say as well, if marriage doesn't knock selfishness out of you, go ahead and have some children. That'll take care of the rest of it. Now, your marriage, I, I want you to have a joyful marriage and a happy marriage, but every marriage needs a goal beyond mutual happiness. If the goal and the aim of your marriage is just mutual happiness, that's too small of a goal. You need a bigger goal. You need more goals. One of the purposes of your marriage is actually to be a light and an inspiration to others, to connect in the church, to connect in the Christian community, to connect in the larger community, and for your marriage to be a reservoir of hope to others, for somebody to say, you know, if Ronnie and Martha can do that, if Ronnie and Martha can push through that, if Joe and Susie can push through that, I mean, and and for your marriage, yes, for there to be mutual joy, but to have an aim and a goal where your marriage actually is pointing to what? To the relationship between Christ and his church, where the husband loves his wife as Jesus loves the church, where the church, where the bride, the wife honors her husband as the church honors Jesus. And that's a a fantastic privilege for us. Well, I have three points today. Here's the first one. As we upgrade marriage, we take a high view of marriage, and with a high view of marriage, you are in God territory, because God has a very, very high view of marriage. He defines it. He designs it. Reading from Matthew chapter 19, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And notice, Jesus takes them to the Scriptures. (laughs) He says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, based on that reading, I've got a couple of observations. Number one, 
Marriage is from God. Jesus' answer here speaks volumes. The question is, hey, can we divorce for any and every reason? And Jesus says, let me talk to you about how it was at the very beginning. Let's reverse engineer this thing. And Jesus quotes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And he does not quote the creation narrative as if it's some fable or myth. And he says, really, the question you should be asking is, what's God's dream and aim for marriage? And he says some interesting things here. He said, in marriage, you leave your father and mother. doesn't mean you start to dislike your parents. You doesn't mean that you don't have multi-generational relationships. simply means marriage is not for little boys. Marriage is not for little girls. Marriage is for people who can snip the cord and deal with their family of origin issues and become a real adult, not a whiny little two-year-old when problems come along, but you bring your full adult self into problem resolution. And, um, you know, we have fallen natures. And our, our culture is not always walking in step with the Spirit. And so we read this text how God made them male and female. They become one flesh. So marriage is created to be heterosexual. But in our culture, we want to say, well, marriage can be redefined. God created two distinct genders both of whom equally reflect the image of God. They are alike. They are absolutely equal, but they are not the same. Marriage is created to be monogamous. You leave father and mother. You cleave to your spouse, but we want to keep our options open. It's created to be permanent. What God has joined together Never let man separate. Maybe this is a good point, though, to start and say, let me just remind you. God calls us upward, but there is grace for marital sin, just like there's grace for any kind of sin. But this call of marriage, this elevation, this upgrading of marriage, uh, we're in God territory because he designed it. He defines it. But virtually every facet of marriage is distorted and sometimes attacked and often just misunderstood in our culture. But Jesus offers us grace and he keeps calling us back to God's ideal. Haven't you read, he said, and he defends the creative plan of God for marriage. Heterosexual, monogamous, permanent. And what he is for should make it obvious of what he's not for, what he's against. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, the Bible takes us to Jesus. And when you read about Jesus, Jesus takes us back to the Bible. Haven't you read God's plan for marriage? Marriage is from God, and marriage is unique. You've heard me say before that... um, A diamond is not like any rock, (laughs) and marriage is not like any other relationship. You become one flesh, and that means a husband and a wife 
They're united together in a way that's unique from all other relationships. Two individuals now build a life together with one story, one purpose, one reputation, one bed, one suffering, one budget, one family. And as you come together in marriage, God joins you. This is not just a human contract. This is a supernatural reality. It's a beautiful thing. So, marriage is of God. Marriage is really unique. And with a high view of marriage, you're in God's view. You're in God's territory. And with a high view of marriage, secondly, you're in cross territory. You know, Jesus picked up his cross for us. And in Luke chapter 9, he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must, hear the words, deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So in other words, before I'm a husband, I'm called to be a disciple. And my discipleship, my following of Jesus, should affect how I play the role of husband or how you might play the role of wife. And so as we pick up a cross in our marriage, let me define it. That means we engage in sacrificial, concrete, devoted love. It's sacrificial, it's concrete, you can see it, it's devoted. Tim and Kathy Keller have a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And they talk about how culture's view even here in America, has changed over the years. And they say this, instead of finding meaning through self-denial, through giving up one's freedoms and binding oneself to the duties of marriage and family, marriage was redefined as finding emotional and sexual fulfillment and self-actualization. Marriage used to be a public institution for the common good. Now it is a private arrangement for the satisfaction of the individuals. Marriage used to be about us, how our marriage will play a role in our larger family, in the church, in the community. Marriage used to be about us. Now it's just about me. Now, gang, listen carefully. I'm not saying that marriage should be dissatisfying or unfulfilling, but if you make your satisfaction, fulfillment, and happiness, the foundation of your marriage, that puts a huge burden on your spouse that they're not intended uh, to carry. You see, Jesus points the way for us in all things. He points to the cross, including in marriage. Where You remember his Sermon on the Mount teaching? Where he says, if somebody forces you to go one mile, what do you do? You go two. That second mile is the Jesus mile, my friends. That second mile is where you meet Jesus. That second mile is where you get Holy Spirit help. Not just the first mile, I've got to do this, but the second mile where you say, I'm willing to carry a heavier load here. I'm willing to go extra. I'm willing to pursue excellence. I'm willing to forgive again and press on. And that second mile is the Jesus mile. And I believe if you apply the principle of the cross, laying down your life for your spouse, 
concrete, devoted, sacrificial love, you've got the potential to renew and revolutionize your marriage. You know, a few years ago, there was a young couple getting married, and they asked a friend to do their wedding ceremony. He was a deacon in their church, and he was uh, happy to do it. And uh, he, you know, handled the vows, handled everything. But he also did some really, really good preaching during that wedding ceremony. And he got real specific. And here's, here's one of the things he had to say. He said, you two need to always speak the truth in love to one another. Because for truth to take root, it must be delivered with gentleness and consideration of the other's feelings. you got to put a filter on what you say and how you say it. He said, let's just say that your spouse crunches his or her toast unbearably loudly every morning. It is increasingly a source of irritation to you morning after morning. So eventually you believe you've saved up enough stamps to justifiably cash them in. So you finally crack and you blurt out, for goodness sake, do you have to crunch your toast so much? I'm not worried about our neighbors. I'm worried about our neighbors four houses down listening to you crunch your toast. Please stop doing that. Then he said, now how do you think your spouse will react? Is it likely to be, oh, thank you, darling. I am so grateful to you for pointing that out to me. Not likely. More than probably, you're going to hear something like, who do you think you are? Have you ever heard you slurp your coffee morning after morning? And so the battle is on in which there will be no winners, only two losers. And then he got real specific. He said, here's how I recommend you handle that toast situation. You get up in the morning, you make your spouse his toast, her toast. And then when they crunch it, you overlook it. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Love covers over a multitude of crunches, too. Love means we serve one another. Concrete, sacrificial, devoted ways. When you have a high view of marriage, you're in God territory. When you have a high view of marriage, you're in cross territory. And with a high view of marriage, you will navigate unsolvable problems. You will. Now, let me very quickly put four stages of a marriage up here on the screen. Stage number one, falling in love. Stage number two, becoming a couple. Stage number three, disillusionment. Buyer's remorse, okay? Disillusionment. It is simply and uh, impossible to expect for two broken, sinful people to live together year after year, not wound one another, not disappoint one another, not disillusion one another. 
you fall in love, you become a couple, you have points of buyer's remorse, but then you learn to love over the long haul. And you learn to love over the long haul by navigating, I didn't say solving, by navigating unsolvable problems. John Gottman leads the Seattle Marital uh, Institute, and he's a fantastic marriage researcher. In fact, I think the best book, marriage book out there is by John Gottman on seven keys to an effective marriage or something like that, something close to that. He says uh, that in every marriage, there are two types of problems, solvable, unsolvable. And in a, in, he says in a healthy marriage, 69% of your problems are unsolvable, and you should not be discouraged by that. You'll be able to solve many of your problems, but you'll not be able to solve all of them. They'll be chronic. You'll keep coming back over and over and over. And here's a definition of an unsolvable problem. They are fundamental differences in your relationship that will never be resolved to your satisfaction. Notice I said to your satisfaction. You'll see some limited improvement, but there will always be a measure of disappointment. And these unsolvable problems are simply caused by differences in personalities, and preferences. How should we discipline the kids in this particular matter? What level of cleanliness do we want in our house? How much debt's too much? How generous will we be? How do we balance family life and career? How do we balance time as a couple with fun time with friends? And once you know you have some unsolvable problems along the way, you can deal with these differently because, hey, listen, you have unsolvable problems in every area of your life, your job. In the church, we have unsolvable problems. For example, do you focus on reaching new people or do you deal with your existing people and long-term members? Answer, both. That's not a problem to be solved. It's a tension you manage. It's a tension you navigate. And in marriages, we have lots of, Martha and I have lots of unsolvable problems. They're tensions. You navigate over time. And here's the key to navigating those. You take the time to understand your spouse's perspective. You take the time to really listen and understand your spouse's perspective, even though you may have to come back to this regularly, if you don't do that, now you're the problem. The problem's no longer the problem. Now you're the problem. And the solution is often pretty simple. You accept unsolvable problems through the grace of God. You focus on accepting your spouse, not trying to change their behavior, not remaking them into your image, but acceptance. Now, there are some caveats. There are some exclusions. I'll come to those in just a moment. But the key is just like crunching the toast. We're going to accept this in grace. You're saying, Ronnie, we shouldn't talk about it and address it? No, I think you should talk about it. I think you should address it. 
I think you need to be real calm and maybe talk about how you feel about this problem, how you, how you feel about this tension, what you'd like to see, how it affects you, but you don't make any demands. You make requests. No demands. Requests. And you remind your spouse, you have my love, you have my respect, you have my devotion. And, um, and you're always looking out for possible win-win solutions. And so you accept these in grace and you look for God to maybe meet some of your needs that will never always be met in your marriage. You know, marriage is designed to meet many of your needs. But marriage in a fallen world was never designed to meet all of your internal needs. It's just not. In fact, often one of the blessings of marriage is it forces me to look to God for what only He can provide. And one of the best gifts, my friends, one of the best gifts you bring to your marriage is you walking with the Lord, you being connected with the Lord, you asking for the filling of the Holy Spirit to bring that into your marriage. And um, in general, unsolvable problems should be talked about calmly, but accepted in grace. But there are some unsolvable problems that just can't be accepted. They have to be confronted, really. I'm talking about things like alcoholism, addiction, adultery, abuse, those kind of behaviors destroy trust, they lower moral boundaries, they create a horrible atmosphere where there's physical abuse, you got to get safe. And when you're dealing with those four A's, alcoholism, addiction, adultery, abuse, you have to confront it. Marriages can be rebuilt through those, but they can't be just accepted. They must be confronted. Forget patience. It's time to dial the figurative 911 and get help. You confront the issue and you work with strong Christian friends and resources who can help you. Now, if you're taking notes, as I know you all do, I want you to write down this word, A-R-E, R. It's an acrostic. Every spouse wants to know of their partner. Are you here? Are you with me in this? And Dr. Sue Johnson has said, just write down the word R. Accessible, responsive, engaged. Martha wants to know, Ronnie, are you accessible? to me, not just in the same room. Are you open to me? Are you paying attention to me? Are you responsive? This is where we can respond to our partner's successes and joys and also respond appropriately and soothe when things are difficult. And uh, it gives the message to our mate that they're not alone in this world, that they're taken care of, that we can relax, we can let our guard down. We're accessible, we're responsive, 
when things are up, when things are down, and we're engaged. And this is this simply means all the yummy things that it means in a marriage when you know someone values you, they uh, want to be involved in your world, they like you, they support you. And let me just remind you, when you speak to one another, if you, if you need to critique or criticize one another, do it with real low emotion. But when you are affirming and complimenting and blessing one another, do it with high and maximum emotion. We often do the very opposite. We'll go, love you. And then something happens you don't like, you hit the ceiling. And often you do that because you know it works. You can get your way. It works in the short term. It won't work in the long term. Maximum emotion when you're blessing. Low emotion when you're critiquing. And your partner wants to know, your spouse wants to know, are you here? Are you accessible to me? Responsive. Are you engaged? My friends, love your mate. Cherish your marriage. Have God's view God has a high view of your marriage. Bring the cross into your marriage. Go that second mile. Sue Johnson said, they got it all wrong. Survival of the fittest, it is all wrong. It's survival of the most nurtured. When we are loved, we blossom. And may I just remind you, for your marriage, no one is for your marriage more than the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The very first mir miracle Jesus performed was where? At a wedding in Cana. You know what the problem was? They ran out of wine. So what does he do? He turns water into wine. He makes 180 gallons of this. So much more than was needed. Why such an abundance? And Bible teachers for years have said, that's how God views your marriage. The flow of the Spirit, the flow of grace, the flow of health, the flow of help. How many times has God brought healing and resurrection into marriages you know? How many people do you know in this room that were at a stage of disillusionment and buyer's remorse, but they continue to walk in the Spirit a day after time? Go the second mile. Make that apology. Make those... Step into repentance and grace and forgiveness. And listen, and the flow of God's wine of power, the flow of his help and abundance, no one is cheering you on. No one is helping your marriage more than our great God, and he has these resources for you. And you know what? I hope one of the goals of your marriage is mutual happiness and joy. But have some bigger goals than that, too. If you're raising children, to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To be an inspiration of joy and hope and encouragement to others around you. To let your marriage be a reservoir of spiritual health. And as you rub off on others, my goodness, what a blessing that's going to be. Steve, would you be making your way, please, for our 
closing prayer. And everyone, let me just thank you for your presence here today. Let us hear from you. Those of you online, let us hear from you. Let us help you take your next step as a man or a woman of God. We can set up a Bible study with you. We can uh, baptize you into Christ. And if you want to talk to someone about being a part of this church family, it would be our joy to do so.